this episode of the podcast, I talk with writer, producer, and director Brett Nelson. Brett has recently wrote the novelization of the killer Astron 6 film Manborg for Encyclopocalypse Publications. He has also worked with the sci-fi series Farscape and the Jim Henson Company. After you are done with this episode, make sure you check out my fellow horsemen of the podcast, Apocalypse. Everything Went Black podcast, Into the Necrosphere podcast, the Necromaniacs podcast, and the Soul Knox podcast. Thanks so much and hope you enjoy. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is cool, man. Um, I'm glad and and Cyclopocalypse reached out to me. That's a hard one to say. Rolls right out, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a rough one. I've had to, I had a few guests from Encyclopocalypse before on here, and then getting that out is is a bit of a pain. But it's you know, <laughs> I, I am certain whatever night they they came up with it, and however many other names were on on the big whiteboard, it made a lot of sense. It's out. It's cool. It's a great name too. It's just man, you got to really stop and think about it before you like let it out. <laughs> you yeah. know, and it and it's like three quarters of your Twitter post is just putting the name of the publisher. In. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mo- most definitely. So, um, Brett, how did you get um hooked up with Psych Apocalypse? Uh, boys, a, a while back, um, I wrote a couple of short stories, and I had was sharing them with a friend. And he asked me if I had found a home for him yet. And I said, they're not finished yet. Of course, I haven't found a home for him yet. I haven't even <laughs> submitted these to anybody. And uh, that was David Bergantino, who's a really, really, really fine writer of everything. Um, and he had a couple of uh, reprints that had gone to uh, Encyclopocalypse. It was uh, from his Bard's Blood series. I don't know how familiar you are with that. It was a while back he took, uh, it was kind of before its time, he took Shakespeare plays and converted them to high school dramas. Hmm. So think uh, uh, name a Shakespeare play and then turn that into Riverdale. Interesting. So he did one with Hamlet, and I can't. And he did one with Midsummer Night's Dream, and uh, they they were picked up. And then Encyclopocalypse had just put those out. And he said, "This sounds like it's right for that banner." And although I didn't know Mark Miller, who was the guy who runs Encyclopocalypse, he said, "You should. They've got good things going over there, and you should see just out of the you know cold, see what they say." And he liked it. And he was just going to put up, I think he was going to, this is a while back, I'm sorry, you could you can edit my stammers if you wish. <laughs> no, 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 no problems. Make me sound a little more coherent. Um, he was going to put the story up, which was just barely novella length. And I poked around a little bit, and I didn't want the shortest thing there. So I wrote uh, two more stories to back it up. So it's a micro collection instead. And it's called uh, Lumber and Other Tales, and they put that up. And I was I was very happy with the process, and there were good people, and they uh, even did an audiobook version. Uh, Jake Ruddle read it, and it sounded great. And so I started working up my my next thing for them, and I got a call out of the blue for the next thing, and. Uh, 
I, uh, I'm probably getting ahead of myself, um, but that the the short answer is that's how I found Encyclopocalypse. Another author who was working with them read something of mine and said you should you should hand this over. That's cool. And then um, I see you got a you did the uh, novelization of Manborg, which I love the film. I haven't got to read the novelization yet, but I think that's really cool. You got to write that. Yeah, that just came out last month, um, and it's it's a whoosh. Uh, I, I had I, it was my goal uh, with that one that that it was not slow. I wanted people <laughs> to get to the last page and go, "Whoa, that was that was quick." Um, and that was the one uh, again. Mark Miller, the guy who runs Encyclopocalypse, the the larger work that I'm doing for them next involves a fictitious Poverty Row studio making drive-in movies in the 70s. Oh, nice. And Mark and I were were talking about the things that were going into that. And he said, speaking of working on low budgets, have you ever seen Manborg? Mm-hmm. And I said, no. And he, he started naming other Astron 6 titles. And of course, I'd seen Psycho Goreman and I'd seen uh, The Void. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, same guys earlier, you need to watch Manborg. And I said, OK, you know, I've got homework. So I went and I watched Manborg and I loved it. And he said, uh, this is going to sound weird, but I've had the novelization rights to Manborg for a really long time because I've been wanting to write the novelization. Mark did. Mm -hmm. But he can never find time because he's busy, you know, running running a publishing company. (laughs) Right. So he said, do you think you could write the novelization for Manborg? Because I think I think your voice may be right for it. So I said, uh, sure, <laughs> with that mm-hmm. much confidence. Uh, over a weekend, I wrote the first, you know, couple of chapters and handed it off to him and to Steve Kostansky just to make sure that the voice was right. And then, again, this is how nice the process is there. Uh, after those first couple of chapters, when I heard that the voice was right, the next thing I handed in was the uh, completed draft. Mm. So it was just... Sounds good. Go. Right. And I just went until it was done, handed off the whole thing, and I got back four notes. Okay. Well, that's a good thing then for only four notes. So. Yeah. I, I had more notes on that draft than uh, than the publisher did. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that one. And they, uh, they also put it out, I don't know if you see, they, in all of their novelizations, they put out in a, in a mass market uh, paperback size, mm-hmm. like you used to get on the spinners at the at the bookstores. That's that that does that makes my heart smile because I'm old. So <laughs> anytime <laughs> I see something like that, it's like oh they care. <laughs> yeah, I love how they do that. Um, my first interaction with in Psycho Apocalypse was uh, the Wishmaster novelization. They okay. hit me up for like a review on it. This was a few, maybe last year, I think it was, or maybe the year before last. But uh, yeah, they hit me up for a review on that and stuff. And I got sent one of the uh, paperbacks. I'm like, oh, this is cool. And this takes me back a little bit. You know, it's, it's great. I, I still love physical media. So, yep. Yeah, I think uh, physical media is still king. But um, I'm also a big fan of the whole um, audiobook stuff, too. So I, I think that's really cool. Is um is Manborg an audiobook now as well or there I'm not sure where it's at. I know they're making one and they were in the middle of casting. 
the last time I talked to them. Oh, that's um, really I'm going to cool. see them again today, and I need to ask. So, so it's it's definitely in the plan. Nice. Uh, but, but they haven't announced uh, who's reading it yet. Yeah, that's going to be a good one for sure. I, I hope so. I I try to write stuff that's meant to be read out loud. Yeah, especially with Manborg too. Like it's such a like high octane, you know, craziness going on. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Just like all their all their stuff, you know, so that'd be a really good one for me to listen to when I'm at work. <laughs> <laughs> have to explain to people why you're giggling. <laughs> so how did you um how did you get your start into writing? Like, how did you uh how did you get started? With all that? What's your origin story on that? <laughs> well, it's it's uh it's it's a 30 year saga. Um, mm-hmm. I've. I've always been do I mean my very first jobs when I was a wee tot I was uh a copywriter I was writing a lot of junk mail in the 80s I was also uh writing a lot of comedy and I was also waiting a lot of tables so not to uh you know not to not to pump up what the career was um I got a job in the late, I'd say early to mid 90s, late 80s, I was uh, doing a lot of, of uh, video games on the side, mostly advertising, but I was a huge fan of video games and I started t- sort of peeking into that world. Um, some people that I worked with ended up getting hired at Disney in their interactive division. Mm-hmm. And I got in there, too. Um, Now, anybody who is a producer on a video game is a writer on a video game. Mm. At least that was the way back then. Now they tend to to hire outside writers to do their dialogue, depending on the game, because it is a lot more like movie production. Mm -hmm. But back in the days of, you know, Toy Story for SNES, um, yes, I'm that old. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Back in those days, the producers did all of the writing. Um, plus, I was, you know, doing spec scripts and short stories and stuff like that. But, but mostly it was the game production. Um, eventually, the Disney company and I came to an agreement where they didn't want me to work there anymore. So I didn't. And I ended up going to uh, the Jim Henson company. And I've oh, been working cool. with Henson's off and on for ever since. Like 30 20, 20, 30 years now, off and on with Henson's. And with them, it got less and less video game and more and more children's television production and some movies here and there, but mostly kid TV with them. Mm-hmm. Pr- producing, directing, and again, if it's a good show, you're, if you're the producer or the director, you're in the script all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. So it never really stopped writing. Um when things started to slow down beginning of the pandemic, maybe even a little bit before, I had some downtime and it had been a long time since I wrote prose. Really long time. Mm-hmm. And I thought I should I should uh, draw that knife across the stone a couple of times and make sure that thing's still sharp. And uh, I remembered Ray Bradbury wrote a book on writing a long time ago. Uh 
and it's called Zen and the Art of Writing, if I remember the title correctly. And he said, if you want to get back in the saddle on the writing, you should write a short story every week. Hmm. Because you should be able to do a flash story in a couple of days, you know, a thousand words. And right. a, a short story you should be able to do in a week. And in about three months, you'll have a dozen or so stories. And one of them is probably going to be pretty good. And if it isn't, you should reconsider <laughs> <laughs> either your approach or what, what it is you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought I'll at least do that. I'll just start you know, cranking some stories out and make sure that I can still come up with an idea and get it, give it a beginning and a middle and an end. And the first two got picked up by magazines. And then I went the longer format and it got through to Encyclopocalypse. So I guess the the 20 year incubator of video games, children's television and movies, just all these different methodologies of storytelling. Mm-hmm. I think it sharpened up the prose a little bit from when I was doing it before. Right. I don't know if that makes sense as a as a linear path. I was just sort of rambling there. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's cool. I like to hear the whole backstory like that. I think that's really really awesome. So s- since then, I mean, I've 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 been you know at it like crazy. I still I still write on a on a manual typewriter because that's wow. that's how I learned to write. I don't edit on a manual typewriter. I stop every 10 pages or so and it goes into a scanner and that becomes a word document and that's what I edit. But as far as just blasting the story out of my brain and onto a page, I I haven't found a better tool because it's it's noisy and it's visceral and there's zero distractions. You can't even correct a word. You just got to skip down two lines and, and start over again. Right. Let's keep going. It's a it's a it's a it's a downhill ski. You you can't just stop and go back up. You got to get all the way down. <laughs> and then, yeah, and I, remember, I remember writing on a typewriter in my younger days and stuff. And uh, yeah, you just keep on rolling. <laughs> yeah. And it's the, I am so oh, I am so scattered. I can't. <laughs> I try to. And again, that's just for the initial brain blast. That's just for the. The, the spark of it. Uh, mm. I'll, I edit on the computer, but if I start, if I do the first chunk on the computer, it'll ne- it never gets done. It never gets done. My, Microsoft Word shows me a misspelling, and it's got a a little squiggly red line under it. <laughs> when you click on that red line, it not only shows you the correct word, it shows you maybe a couple of other words mm-hmm. that might be better, huh? And maybe this whole sentence could be reworked. And I'm not happy with this uh, formatting in this paragraph either. Wow, it feels like I'm procrastinating. I'm going to look up procrastination and see if there's any way I can get out of this. Oh, look, there's a whole subreddit on procrastination. And now it's nighttime. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Like it takes you down that rabbit hole and you never get out. Yeah. So I, I would rather go down the typewriter rabbit hole where when I get to the end of the hole, at least I've got a story done. <laughs> yeah, I totally understand that. Um, going back to your uh, working with uh, the Henson stuff, uh, you worked on Farscape, correct? A tiny little credit on Farscape, but I love the show so much that I make sure to put that credit in everything that I do. It's a great show. <laughs> I loved it, yeah. 
No, that was a great time. We had on the kids' side, we had Bear in the Big Blue House over on Disney Channel. I don't know if you're old enough to remember that, but that was a great show. Uh, Muppets had a movie in the theater. Uh, Farscape was was recreating sci-fi TV. It was a, it was a golden time. Yeah, I, I dig Farscape, and it's it's come it comes on uh, reruns on uh, the Comet Network, so it's pretty cool if you have Comet. It's like a free channel that's actually on antennas if you have those, you know. <laughs> I remember so those. Fun. Yeah, it's on. Uh, it's free on Amazon right now too. The whole series HD is on Amazon Prime right now. Nice. If you want to stream it there, and I I think it still holds up. I haven't watched the whole run in a long time. It's probably been three years since I since I went through the whole thing. Um, I'm in the middle of going through Galactica again right now, and that's a that's that's a hard sit. That's a heartbreaking sit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an epic one. <laughs> yeah, and you know who's gonna die. You know, you you see somebody on the screen, you're like, oh, you're not gonna make it through this season. <laughs> right. <laughs> what was your uh, What was your job on Farscape? I was working with the uh, with the creature shop at that time. Uh, so we did a, a whole bunch of uh, uh, different things, and, but on that one, that was I was just on Peacekeeper Wars. I wasn't on the series. I was on the uh, sci-fi. Gave up on the show mm-hmm. and, and broke everybody's hearts. So uh, uh, Brian Henson found some money and some interest, and they came back with a, uh, uh, I think it was a two-part TV movie mm, okay. to sort of tie up tie up the loose ends on the plot because they thought they were going to get another season and they didn't. So they ended on a cliffhanger Mm. and then they got canceled. So it was, uh, they got the band back together to do this four hour movie to, to tie it all up. And of course they still left it on a cliffhanger because they wanted it to get picked up again. Right. (laughs) But, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the characters. There's a character, uh, Rigel, the Hynerian Mm -hmm. who is all puppet all the time. Uh, the the problem they were having, and this was like the one little tiny sequence and problem that I solved, is a lot of TV is a lot of hours that result in 30 seconds on the screen, mm-hmm. which is what makes it expensive, especially in a creature show. Up to that time, uh, Rigel was the only Hynerian we had seen. And there's a, a couple of scenes in there where the, the war has gone crazy back home and he's got to talk to his cousin. And there'd never been another Hynerian. So there was this whole design process that I was a chunk of about, well, what do they look like? And I'm the simple guy. I'm like, they look like Rigel. It's his cousin. Let's get on. But there's these discussions like, you know, well, are they like, you know, look at dogs. You got a Chihuahua, you got a Mastiff, and you got a Pug. Those are all dogs. Are Hynerians like that? You know, are they all different shapes and sizes or are they all, you know, kind of like ducks? Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. maybe they're not maybe they're not so spread across the whole species. Maybe, you know, ducks kind of look alike. They're just different colors. And so you have all these goofy conversations and go through a thousand drawings and a thousand drawings. And you end up with uh, you end up with with the character. And then we had to figure out how we're going to actually perform it. Uh, Are we going to make a whole of the puppet? You know, so it was it was mainly just that. It was mainly getting all of that dealt with. That's cool. I'm better. Uh, I bet it was a really interesting experience just being on the set, especially dealing with like uh, Brian Henson and stuff like that. Or was he was standing right next to me? But fortunately, <laughs> I had I had I'd, I'd worked with I my home base was the Henson lot in Hollywood, which is where he is. Mm-hmm. 
so I'd, I'd already done a, a ton of stuff with Brian. So that, that was, that part was just another day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause we'd already done a bunch of kids shows. Did you um, get to meet Jim at any point in time or is that? He had, he, yeah. He had passed before about two years before I came to the company. Ah, that's, yeah. The Hensons have done so much killer stuff, man. Like, it's still, I think that's an honor just to work side by side, you know, with the Henson. So, and they still, they're still making really good. I mean, did you see the Fraggle Rock just came back? It's on Apple TV. Oh, it did. And, I had no idea about Fraggle Rock. I know. Um, what's and it this? looks, it looks great. It looks it fantastic. And and they brought back Dark Crystal a few years ago on Netflix. Yes, that's and what I was thinking. Dark Crystal looked really cool. I, I watched that. Yes, yeah, it's amazing. And uh, even the, you know, the stuff that isn't legacy properties. I work with them on a show called Word Party, which if you have tiny children, I'm sorry. But just the same, Word Party is a really good show. And we've done, what, six seasons of that on Netflix. Um, Pajaminals is a, is another great kid's show. This is a show. Do you have children, Brandon? I do not. Well, I mean, my wife have two cats, so they're kind of okay. like kids. <laughs> Uh, Pajaminals is a show that is designed to get your children to go to bed. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seems like one my mom would put on when I was a kid, something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, the, the show is intentionally set up to where you see them going through their process and their little problem is always a bedtime problem. And by the time they solve it, they're all snuggled in and then they sing a song and they're asleep. <laughs> and hopefully so is the kid. Just, uh, it's great. Great show. Great show. So, yeah, yeah Bird Party's great. Uh, they just did uh, Harriet the Spy is over there on Apple. That's a new program. Mm -hmm. uh, they are producers on the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio movie. Oh, cool. That's, that's coming out, I think, next year. Trailer's mm -hmm. up now, and it looks amazing. It does. Uh, so, yeah, it just keeps they, – they keep going on because I think given – Jim's spirit and the stuff that was out when I was younger, it kind of changed the way you thought. So mm -hmm. they attract people who say, I want to make stuff like that. And I think that's why the the circle keeps keeps going. Because they yeah. don't attract Henson's doesn't attract people that want to make uh, the Fast and the Furious. Right. Because that's not who they are. They attract people who who want to make creature shows and and th really thick, rich world building things, or really, really high quality kid TV. Yeah, I'm glad to know they're still up and running like that. Which I already knew they were doing like you know Dark Crystal and everything, but uh, I didn't know the connection between uh, Guillermo Guillermo del Toro's uh you know, Pinocchio movie and stuff. So that that's really cool. That's a great combination. Yeah. Their studio in Hollywood, even it's uh, <laughs> the day it opened, Brian did a speech and he compared it to the Muppet movie, but they had been looking for a proper home since they left the Disney lot in the eighties. And in 2000, they finally found it. Uh, Charlie Chaplin built the studio in 1917. Wow. And it's on La Brea Boulevard, and it looks like these, you know, old school cottages on the outside. They're all facades. Mm -hmm. And then once you go inside, it's cobblestones and clabbered buildings and uh, 
the old sound stages are still there. It was AM Records for ages. Now it's Henson Recording, but the, the recording studio is still there. The sound stages are there. And it's it's a wonder. It is an oasis in a sea of, you know, t-shirt shops and things that are Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You hit this place and it's magic once you once you walk inside. It's it's even so even the studio space is cool when you walk in. That's cool. So it's some, uh, almost like a the Willy Wonka of uh, effects and stuff like that, you know. Got good bones, good bones when you walk in. And well, Brian's point was, you know, the Muppet movie was about these these people that you know were running around in circles with talent and time, and they wanted to find a home in Hollywood. And he said, "We, you know, here we finally, <laughs> finally, in the year two thousand, we got it all put together." That's good. Uh, it's like a lost art because um, everything nowadays is mostly uh, big budget CGI and stuff. And um, CGI done right is OK, you know, here and there where it's, you know, but when it comes to the, doing creature effects, I've always preferred like puppetry or just, um, you know, somebody in a costume. You know, I, I, I don't like CGI. <laughs> There's still a lot of people doing doing the creature effects right. Um, mm-hmm. And people do CGI right. The, the only trouble is. It. I don't know if it matters how good the CG looks because time is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And the best of the best of the best, the most realistic right now today, August 6th, 2022, is it going to hold up in 10 years? Right. Or will there be something? There's no way to know. There's really no way to know. Um, but if you look at something like the job of the hut, puppet in Mm -hmm. uh, in jedi that was a great puppet he looked fantastic they painted him well and they lit him well well that's always going to look good Mm -hmm. it's always going to look good because it looked good when you pointed the camera at it and you framed it well and you lit it well you're you're never going to have to mess with that it looked it looked great on the day and it's always going to look great so that's that's the advantage the disadvantages of course is the options. I mean, we I do some CG work with Henson's. Mm-hmm. The the children's program that I, I do a lot of, we've done two of them recently. Splash and Bubbles is about the ocean, and uh, Word Party is about words. Um, but they're puppeteered. They're CG animation, but they're puppeteered. Mm-hmm. So we have, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with, with effects work, but they, they use... A stick and Waldo hand rig, very, very similar to the stuff that they drove animatronics on uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or the Dinosaurs TV series. Mm. If you've ever seen the behind the scenes on that, you've got a puppeteer with a set of hand controls that are moving all the uh, servos in the animatronic head. We applied the same tech to move around texture map deformities, spines and muscles and bones in the CG head. So Mm. even though it's CG, it's being performed in the moment. Mm-hmm. by a puppeteer who's also providing the voice at the same time i've got people out on a mocap stage in the ping pong ball suits and they're providing the bodies so that's exactly the way they did ninja turtles oh that's yeah i remember seeing behind the scenes of uh ninja turtles and stuff and uh, i've seen a little bit of what you're talking about there yeah it's a it's a suit performer inside the suit and they've got a large animatronic head on their shoulders that's hooked up with an umbilical 
to a puppeteering control system and there's a puppeteer working the face while he's providing the voice. Two characters, two puppeteers working in concert to deliver a character, um, which is what Henson's has been doing for years. Mm-hmm. So the CG shows that you see us doing, even though it's CG, they're still, it's all done in real time. When well, that's I, cool. Yeah, when I'm directing an episode of Word Party, I've got four characters. It's a wallaby and an elephant and a panda and a cheetah. Mm-hmm. And really cute. Uh, but they're performed right there. If you if you were in the van, if you were just in the van looking at the monitors like we were at a football game and, and you were in the director's van, you would be looking at the monitors and it would be carrying the cartoon, but you would be listening to me talk back and forth with the cartoon characters mm. and telling them where to stand and how to block the scenes and telling where the cameras to go. And then I would yell action and cut and we would grab scenes. Right. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I like that's more, uh, I guess, more hands-on tactical like feel to it, you know. Instead of what I'm thinking is more like, you know, this make something up on the computer and run with that. Yeah, we take all the math out. Take all the math out. Anything that moves in these shows is moved because somebody moved it, whether mm-hmm. it's a camera or an eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> it happened because somebody moved it. And I think I think it looks better because they're kind of clumsy and we make mistakes and we make surprises along the way. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like we came up with a storyboard and a script and shipped it off to uh, to a throughput company somewhere who just you know put it together exactly like it was written and then handed it back. That's no fun. <laughs> <laughs> I want to touch a little bit back on the the writing stuff. Um, yes, please. Some of your who are some okay. of your favorite authors? Oh, boy. So many. There's a few, you know, I know it's probably a bunch. <laughs> well, let me let me think. It's always what I'm reading right now. Uh, so <laughs> Robert E. Howard's who I'm reading right now. Oh, I'm doing an audio book uh, with Robert E. Howard right now. I'm going through all the Conan stuff. So excellent. Yeah, I'm rereading top to bottom every bit of Solomon Kane. Nice. Another project I got coming up. But yeah, there is a he he needs more love these days. Agreed. Uh, it is some of the what's the word I'm looking for? His prose is really tidy. There mm-hmm. are there are no wasted words in there. It is just so 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 lean. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. You you will get through a, a four page fight scene where a ton of stuff happened, and you know exactly what happened because the 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 prose is just so bang on so yeah i'm reading that um what else i'm reading some nonfiction with uh john caspard if you're looking into uh, uh movie production he's a guy you should know john caspard wrote uh fast cheap and under control it's a series of books mm-hmm. uh, about making low budget movies well <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't look for the fumbly bad films he looks for films like dementia 13 and uh and El Mariachi, where they were on a low budget, the movie turned out great. Right. And he interviews everybody from the writers beforehand all the way through to say, how exactly did you do that? Hmm. And what lessons can we take away uh, from that to, to help us along? So, yeah, I got that. Um, who else am I reading right now? That's that's it. I got a, a nonfiction, Solomon Cain. Um 
Well, in the broader sense, excuse me, Harlan Ellison was a huge influence on me, giant influence on me. Um, I don't think a month goes by that I don't reread one of his stories. Um, Who else did I read recently? I just finished. I'm not in the room where my books are. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's the real problem. Um, Do I need to open up my Amazon account and see what it does make sense? I'll just leave you with those because those are really good gets. Those are good. Yeah. Like I said, um, the Robert E. Howard stuff's really cool. Um, a friend of mine who runs a podcast called Everything Went Black, uh, Mike Hill, they're uh, doing some deep dives and stuff here and there on like Robert E. Howard, H.P. Lovecraft, you know, like that whole the whole connection with those two and stuff. It's uh, really fascinating. Does he have the letters collections? Uh, I'm not sure what he has. He has a bunch of stuff. So yeah. um, they uh, does. Yeah, Perilous Worlds or um, Cabinet Licensing. It's the same company, but they're the ones who own everything Robert E. Howard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Howard, this was back in the day when you collected all of your correspondence. Right. Um, you never threw it away. So they have the collected letters between Howard and Lovecraft. Mm. You can see them like sharing a manuscript and their notes back and forth and talking politics and stuff like that. They've got a couple of volumes of it and they're... They're interesting. They're interesting to read. After a little bit, it feels like you're eavesdropping. You feel kind of weird about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, de- definitely. That is kind of like eavesdropping, but, you know. <laughs> They're the ones who kept it. <laughs> you shouldn't archive. Right. Didn't want it read later after you were dead. You should have burned it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Oh, I'm also rereading. Here's another one, and it's cool. old. Uh, 2000 AD Comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I just okay. got a bunch of collections of Nemesis the Warlock. Oh, cool. Which I missed out on. Missed I was all about Judge Dredd, but I didn't read Nemesis. So these these came to me and it's 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 new to me. It's new to me and wonderful. Yeah, I love the old uh, Judge Dredd comics. I I read those now on my I got a fire tablet which makes comic reading a little bit easier because I have horrible lighting in my house. But um I read them on uh comicsology. And um I don't know if the Dredd, uh, Judge Dredd's still up there, but they did have like the whole like omnibus of all i did judge red stuff there for a while and uh it's so good it just takes me back to the 90s <laughs> yeah. and there's something like 30 volumes in those omnibuses <laughs> i think they did a werewolf judge dread if i'm not mistaken i thought that was really cool i yeah i can't imagine they would have missed out on anything they <laughs> <laughs> they sent him to titan they sent him into the desert to die they sent him to the moon yeah, they put him through the ringer. <laughs> I loved it when they sent him to the moon. He was looking for some some guys who were robbing people. Mm-hmm. He didn't find the crooks. And like six weeks later, after they never find the crooks, uh, there's a report from an apartment building. And they go in and there's all the guys dead and all the stolen stuff. And they start looking through. And because they were crooks and losers... They didn't pay their bills, mm-hmm. including the bill to the oxygen board, which is a really important one if you live on the moon. <laughs> right. <laughs> so instead of getting their power cut off, they got their uh, their air cut off. And <laughs> that's what got them in the end. Wow. <laughs> Are you a fan of the Spencer Stallone Judge Dredd? Yes and no. Yeah. 
Yes and no. I am I am a fan of the Stallone Judge Dredd. I am not a fan of the Rob Schneider character in the Stallone Judge Dredd. There's, yeah, it was kind of it, like, why even there? <laughs> has it been a while since you watched it, or have you seen it recently? Um, I try to watch at least once a year, man, because I, yeah. I, I like to take my trips back into the 90s every so often. So that's usually one of my top ones to watch every year. So <laughs> if if you start with, you know, just if you're if you're into the comics and the world, they mm-hmm. start with a block war, which is right out of a lot of the books. Uh, the Angel family's in there and they look great. Mean Machine's in there and he looks great. Mm-hmm. Um some of the uh, uh, hierarchy judge politics are in there, which are, you know, kind of core. They tried to get the psychic core in there, but nah, <laughs> not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he took his helmet off. That was the I understand Sylvester Stallone's in your movie and you paid a lot of money for him and you're not going to leave the helmet on. But. It, that that was a bad point and then the comedy relief yeah were the, were the two bad parts but there's a lot of good in there the the law cycle looks great the 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 lawgiver the guns look great the costumes look right the stances the fight scenes it, it, there's a lot of good stuff in there and like i said i was just so happy to see the angel gang in there and me machine looked fantastic he still looks fantastic yeah, still holds up really well. All the special effects in uh, Judge Dredd hold up really well today. I, I like it. Still looks good. I think it was Stan Winston and Digital Domain doing those, if I remember right. Uh, and the new one was really good to renew. It was like 10, 15 years ago, but the one with uh, Carl Urban was mm-hmm. really No, that so, one was really killer. And people have been waiting on like a sequel for years now. And there was like rumors that there was going to be another Dread movie, but uh, I've heard nothing since then. That was like five years ago with those rumors. So yeah, I don't I don't know that the first one made a ton of money. And that's no, I don't it. think so. And that's, it came out as a 3D movie, too, which, you know, 3D kind of died out. So that was kind of like a fad. And I think people was like, oh, this is another 3D movie. You know, it's going to be crappy. But there's some money they could have saved. <laughs> that money right. could have been profit. Yeah, it's it's a weird time, I think, right now on the movie side. Um, well, it's weird everywhere, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm working on some stuff on that side of the business now too. But uh, uh, it's it's not as hard to get a book published now as it was ten years ago, but it sure is hard to get it noticed. Mm. It is a very saturated marketplace. I don't I don't have to tell you that. I mean, even just, you know, trying to get a podcast noticed. Five years ago. You know, you compare five years ago to now, it's got it's got to have be 10 times as many. Oh, yeah, there's like hundreds of thousands of podcasts and all I'm pretty similar to what you want to do and stuff like. Yeah, everything's oversaturated, even music, uh, podcasts, books, movies like 40 million books on Amazon right now. What's that? 40 million books on Amazon right now. Wow, that's crazy. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so you got that. And then in the movies, it's like your only choices for movies are you can make like a five to ten million dollar movie. Or you can make a two hundred million dollar movie. Those are the only ones that do well. If you got something kind of in the middle it, it's it's just not finding a home. Like you said, it's it's a weird time. 
It is. And we have so many options. Like uh, back in the day, we had only a few options of what we want to watch, what we want to read. Like, But now with all the different uh, streaming networks we have, we have a ton of different streaming networks. It's like the, the choices are like overwhelming. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know what's good anymore, you know. And I go uh, check out reviews and a lot of reviews I don't really trust too well unless it's somebody I know, you know. And it's like, I don't know what the hell to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll give you one. Uh, Barry. There, go watch Barry. Oh, I love Barry. Yeah, I've already yeah. finished that season three. Yep, I watched all that. Barry was fucking great. <laughs> they uh, they started shooting uh, season four this week. Oh, nice. Cool. Cameras rolled this week on the new one, so they're going back. HBO is great. I, I love like, the HBO originals and stuff. Like, it's a bunch of great quality stuff, you know. Yeah, what did, I'm trying to think of what else we're... Going back to oh we <laughs> we've we've been focusing in this house my wife and I on um, like late '80s ghost story films the changing ghost story ghost ship um, all the you know everything Peter Straub wrote they uh, they put into into pictures a lot of those hold up oh yeah I agree. I'm looking for a good ghost story book. I think that's going to be the next thing. Can you recommend me a good ghost story book? Oh, man. Uh, not off the top of my head. I've been on a Stephen King kick for like the past couple of years because <laughs> uh, he's got so much stuff, man. It's like I first went through the uh, Dark Tower series and that took me like two years. I was doing audiobook versions. Uh, so uh, it was a hell of a journey because I listened to it when I was at work. So, yeah, it was so much. But, man, that ending is like, holy shit, <laughs> you know. So I've been on a kick with him for a while now. Um, with ghost stories, I really don't read too many ghost stories. I like I say, I, I stick with like Stephen King, uh, Clyde Barker. Um, I just started reading uh, Peter Ferris, who does um like crime, like crime. I guess you call them crime thrillers, really dark you know, noir type stuff. Um, you know, I've been sticking with that for right now. And actually, I just got done reading uh, one of the Insyca Apocalypse. You know, uh people there that was uh deeper than hell from josh so um, that was really killer but has nothing to do with well there's some ghosts in deeper than hell so yeah it's in, <laughs> it's in my stack i haven't read it yet but it is so good sitting there waiting it's a quick read too because it's just like non-stop like what the fuck you know it's like craziness like the whole time there's no like break and you can't put it down <laughs> So there is a ghost in that. So I can let me go and recommend deeper than hell. So and, it, and I've already got it. So that's great. That yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like I say, now I'm starting the whole Conan thing and I have 35 hours of uh, audio content with that. So <laughs> there is a lot. Are you bouncing around or because the chronologies are really weird in, in Conan? I am. I'll tell you exactly what I'm starting on here. I am on the uh, it's the Conan. the uh, Chimerian Barbarian, the complete weird tales omnibus, and it's okay. uh, yeah, it's supposed to be. It, it starts out with like a short biography, uh, then it goes into a little bit about Cole. You get like four or five chapters on like a like Cole gets introduced and everything, and um, then after that it goes into like the very first appearance of Conan and all the way through supposedly. It's good stuff. 
Yeah, I, my dad uh, got me into the Conan comics when I was a kid because uh, when he was younger, he had a whole shit ton of comics, like you know a lot of Conan stuff. Uh, I think all like GI Joe stuff, but uh, the Conan stuff was always really cool. So yeah, it's nice. Awesome. To- Ray, Ray Thomas and uh, John Buscema, all the Marvel titles. Is that the ones? Yeah, the, the Marvel ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wish I still had those. Um, they ended up getting pretty wrecked over the years. <laughs> Not very. Didn't take good care of them, but I didn't know what I had them when I was a kid. So, you know. That's what. That's why they're hard to find and expensive now. Right. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm hoping uh, one day we didn't, we get another Conan movie that's, I think, worth the crap. Like, you know, I, the last one that came out with, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Jason Momoa, right? I think that was the last Conan movie. Yep. Yeah. It was all right, I guess. It's, I don't know, man. I prefer the Arnolds. <laughs> it looked like uh, it looked like a lot of committee decisions. Mm-hmm. That one. They need to, to they need to hand it off to some some uh, loner and leave them alone. <laughs> I think uh, Robert Eggers could do it justice. And you watch you watch the opening of the movie and there's what fifteen twenty logos. Mm-hmm. Of production company, those are all people that put money in, and that means each of those people are going to be in the editing room, going, oh, "I don't know, I don't know," or talking about the dailies. Everybody's got input, right? So that's 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 tough. It's really tough yeah. to get a singular vision out the other side of that process, unless you uh, unless you've got a lot of juice. That was a problem that happened with the uh, Halloween sequel that Rob Zombie did. Like, I enjoyed the first Halloween movie he did, the remake. I thought it was pretty cool. But then the uh, second one came out. I was like, what the hell is this, man? <laughs> like, and um, he said he had a whole bunch of trouble. People telling him what to do, this, do that. And he kind of lost control of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Yeah, but that's where I said, you know, you either if if you do make the two hundred million dollar, it's it's always the thing that has Henson's had a hand in the uh, where the wild things are. Mm-hmm. Which, that Spike Jones made back when. And I don't know if you've seen it, but it's beautiful. Yeah, I have. Yes. Uh, it's just it's really, really pretty. And and he said he, he knew his trouble because that thing bounced from studio to studio to studio. And he wanted to shoot it as if. David Attenborough on Green Planet was shooting the wild things. He wanted it to look like nature footage mm-hmm. when they were rolling around on the beach and fighting with rocks and stuff like that. He didn't want it to look like an action movie. He wanted big wide shots or really close shots and spend a long time with the critters. And the story he was telling was not, you know, a happy fairy tale story. Uh, and he said, you know, I've got this art house movie with a special effects blockbuster budget. Mm-hmm. And that's the tough sell. That's where I was saying yeah. before you can do an, a $9 million movie or a $200 million movie. Because if if you were to make a movie with, I don't know, like Blade Runner, you you can't spend a little bit of money on it. you got to spend a lot of money on it. And you're probably not going to make it back. Mm-hmm. The right people will make it anyway. 
<laughs> right, right. Yeah. That's a, you know, they made 2049 because they, you know, you had to. They made the arrival because you had to. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll 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 see how it turns out. But right now, there it seems to me there's a big there's a big split creatively. Yeah, I, I just seen some recently. I'm not going to say anything because uh, a lot of people like it. I do not like it. It just came out very recently as we're speaking now. I don't not when this podcast comes out, but as of right now, something big came out and stuff. And uh, I must be like the only hater of this movie so far. <laughs> so and I think, uh, yeah, there's some weird things going on there with uh, production stuff and everything. So, yeah, kind of rough. Well, you know, uh, just making it, though. When uh, when David Cronenberg was up for his first Oscar, I think it was for History of Violence, mm-hmm. somebody came to him and said, so what do you think? You know, you're finally up for an Oscar after all these movies you made. And he just takes a breath and he goes, you know, I think everybody who completes a movie should get an award. People mm-hmm. don't know how hard it is just to start the process and find the money and... <laughs> To right. the production and come out the other side with a finished thing just to, just mm-hmm. to do it just to get it that it didn't die in the middle mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I totally agree with that so even jaws 4 should have got an oscar anything <laughs> jaws 4 is actually kind of fun going back and watching it now so i recommend that during a summertime horror watching is going through all the jaws movies start with number one which is the best of course and this going down that weird rabbit hole with the rest of them you know <laughs> they get crazy <laughs> i haven't seen jaws four since it came out i should give it another shot yeah they're all um they were all streaming on peacock so if you got peacock they should still be on there hopefully i will add it to the list nice what kind of projects do you have coming out in the future that we can look forward to? Well, as it says in my bio, uh, the contracts say I can't talk about them, a lot of them. But I'll just say I have a a tabletop game I'm working on. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you what. And I have a web series I'm working on, and I can't tell you what. And uh, then I've got my next two things with Encyclopocalypse. And I think I can talk about those. Okay. Uh, we're... I, I've come up with a it, it's all fiction. It's all kind of meta world. But there's a uh, Poverty Row studio making movies in the 70s called World Cinema Group. And I've invented the studio and the guys who ran it and the directors they usually worked with and the writers they usually worked with. And it's all it's all fiction. It's all made up. Uh, every film they did is a lost film. Because the guy who ran the studio, Harold J. Kerr, did not believe in television. Mm-hmm. He thought TV was a ripoff, so he never sold his movies to TV. So they've all just kind of faded and crusted away. But we do have the stories that all the movies were based on. So right. one by one, we're putting out the uh, the sort of semi-novelizations of all of the different pictures that World Cinema Group put out between 1957 and 1974. Cool. And the funnest part, funnest, is that a word? Yeah, the funnest sure. part. <laughs> the story itself is fun. You know, you make up the story for Drag Strip Zombie Massacre or Bog Fiends or, you know, Murder Garden or whatever the, the movie is. Mm-hmm. But I'm also doing a couple of pages of, like, Internet Movie Database trivia Ooh. around the picture. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was this actor was this and for this effect, they did that. And I've got other friends that are drawing, uh, you know, found storyboard images or maybe some test shots with props or so. So it does look like we've archived what we could find mm-hmm. from from this this old studio. So hopefully it'll read like a uh, like a bunch of people, you know, stitching together a mystery about the, these old pictures plus the story. But it's it's mostly about the story. So the first first of those is out later this year. Nice. Awesome. Well, yeah, definitely uh, going to keep a lookout for all that and stuff. And also your uh, top secret projects that you can't <laughs> talk about. I'll be, uh, yeah, I follow well, you on social media, too, I believe. So, yeah, when I get hired to do stuff until the person who hired me says the thing, I don't say the thing. Oh, yeah, totally understand that. <laughs> That's the real. I mean, I've probably sat in a room with with other people and talked about the thing with the publisher there, mm-hmm. the producer there. That's one thing. But, yeah, when when the person who's writing the check has not mentioned it on on their social medias or whatever, I'm, I'm not going to say a word about it. Totally understand. Mom's the word on that one. <laughs> Um, if anybody wants to like follow you on your social media pages, where can they uh, find you at? I don't have them, and it is oh, so I freeing. Thought you did. Oh. I, it's it's yep. so freeing. Now I I I was uh, I gotta put it. Um, I always point people to where they can get the things. Okay. So if we're talking about Manborg, they should go to the Encyclopocalypse pages. Mm-hmm. And they do a great job over there. They've they've got a very good Twitter page and even their home web page. And if they want to find out about me, I'm there. No, I've got I've got a, a a bio and link to all my books and stuff like that are right there. Okay, cool. But yeah, I do, I do not have a a social media presence. Well, that's a good thing. It's a good thing and bad thing. I just have a social media presence just to do promotion and stuff like that. But it is definitely a freeing thing that you don't have one. So, yeah, that's it's pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's all I can do to finish the stories. If I had to also update oh, yeah. <laughs> all my socials, nothing would ever get done but that. <laughs> that's a job in its own, you know. <laughs> and I don't think it's good for me. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember rec arts you know, chat areas or, or, or MUDs and um, multiplayer underworld dungeon. And in the early, early days of the internet, when everything was in, uh, in chat rooms and in bulletin boards, it was bad. It ate a lot of my time. Right. <laughs> I, I would think that, that if I got back onto the socials now, it would be the last thing I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Brad, it's been a great talking with you, man. I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Fun for me, too. Now, is I have to ask, is mm-hmm. your name Legion? My last name is Legion, but uh, so your name is Legion. That is. So yeah, awesome. but wait. Yeah, not by uh, it's not by uh, wait, it's not my given name. It's the name I gave my my, my last time I gave myself uh, many, many, many years ago. And it kind of started with uh, doing band stuff. So I just kind of <laughs> kept it. <laughs> it leaves a mystery and it sounds better in my my real last name which you know i don't give out <laughs> well you can give mine and you can give the titles of the books you can give give everything you want excellent i have links to all this too down in the show notes for this episode so Ruby. i'll make sure it gets out there for you all right is there anything else you need no this is uh great and um i hope you have a killer rest of your weekend 
I, I will do my very best. I hope you do the same. All right. Uh, thanks and uh, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.